If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Hebrews chapter 1. Now, we're not going to read the entire book today, but we are going to pick out several verses that um, I think are probably going to be very common to most of you. But I have to tell you, um, I am very excited about this study. Um, I have not ever preached through the entire book of Hebrews And so when the elders said, hey, we love exegetical teaching, we love taking it from the beginning to the end of of a certain book or a certain theme or whatever the case might be, I really got on my knees and I prayed about it. I was like, God, what, what do you have? What do you have not only for me to be able to speak to the congregation here, but what message is it that we need as Christians to grab onto and run with every single day. And I kept coming back to this word simple. Simple. If you think about the way that Jesus taught. And the way that Jesus really launched his ministry. And what Christianity as we know it today is. It's very simple. Isn't it? It really is. It's a very simple thing. Believe That Jesus is the son of God. That he came as God's sacrifice, if you will. And he died on a cross that we could have the promise of eternity. The bridge to the father, if you will. The blood that was the final atonement for sins, past, present, and future. And really, that's that's what Christianity is all about. That's what the gospel message is really all about. And so I kept coming back to this thing about simple, simple, simple. And then I was talking with my son-in-law, who's actually a pastor of a home church in Denver. And we were talking about the tie from the Old Testament to the New Testament. And if you've done any, any measure of studying, you know that the Old Testament, basically almost everything without exception in the Old Testament, foreshadows Jesus. It points to Jesus. And so what's really cool, and I think what we're going to find here in in the next few weeks now, I will tell you, I don't know if I'm going to be here 26 weeks, but right now I've got 26 messages planned to take us through the book of Hebrews. But what we're going to find is that this book does a masterful job at helping us remember what it means to be a follower of Jesus and the fact that it is so simple And so I hope we really grab on to that. Um, In my preaching style, just to give you a little bit of kind of how I like to approach a text, I have an acronym, and those that you were here that with me last, uh, the last time I preached, you know I'm big on acronyms, I don't know why. I think it must be my 20 years in the military. It's like we all live on acronyms. But I love the acronym here as it relates to how we can approach a text and perhaps how I teach as uh, as a pastor. The H stands for here. We're going to hear God's word. The E stands for explain. I'm going to do my best to kind of help us understand. I'm going to explain to you how I believe what the author is trying to teach us. What exactly is it that that the author is trying to tell us? And then A has always been my favorite, and that's apply. You know, one of the things that so many Christians struggle with is, how do I take this book, this 2,000-year-old document, And make it applicable to my life. Because it is. It's the greatest roadmap that's ever been designed for us on how to love God and follow him and walk in obedience. 
And then the R stands for respond. We're going to have an opportunity every Sunday for you to respond. Now, you may be here today and you're, you're, a, you're either a new believer or you're not, even, you're not really sure. You're kind of sitting on the fence going, I don't know. I know South Point is a really cool church, but I'm not sure how I feel about my relationship or even if I have a relationship with the Lord. Now, during that response time, you're going to have an opportunity to, to give your life over to God, to submit to his will for your life and begin a journey that's going to absolutely blow your mind. You know, perhaps you're going to be here on a particular Sunday and you're struggling. You know, in James chapter 1, James reminds us that we will have trials. It's not an if, okay? He says, consider it pure joy when you have trials. Well, maybe you're here, maybe it's today, and maybe it's going to be a Sunday down the road. But you're struggling, and you need someone to pray with you. One of the things that I know about this church and one of the things that I already love about this church is that we are a praying church. And so you're going to have opportunity. You certainly are welcome to pray with me if you feel comfortable and you want to do that, absolutely. But there's going to be other members of the church that are going to be positioned in various places around the sanctuary here where you can go and have someone pray with you. You know, perhaps it'll be a Sunday when you're like, you know what, we've been visiting for a little while and we're ready to plug in. I'm telling you, if yesterday was any indication of the things that God is doing in this place, I'm excited for what's ahead. I'm so excited for what's ahead. And so, you know, maybe you're at that point where you're like, yes, I want to align myself with a great body of believers. I'm going to come. And so every Sunday, we're going to have an opportunity to respond Not only to respond to what you've heard, but to respond to the Spirit's leading in your life. And I want to encourage you to do that. It's scary sometimes, okay? Let's let's be real here for a second. It's scary sometimes to stand up and say, I need help. But I believe that gathered in this room today and throughout this church are people who genuinely want to share and help carry your burden and to lift you up before God. So, well, let's, let's take a look here. Um, I know we're going to kind of blast through about 10 verses here, and hopefully uh, Ethan and the gang in the back can keep up with me here. Um, but these are verses from Hebrews that, that have had significance for me over my lifetime, and I would imagine that as you see them and as you read them, they're going to be like, oh, yeah. I knew I heard that, I just couldn't remember where it was. Hopefully we're going to help refresh some of that. So let's start with Hebrews 4.12. Okay, for the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Hebrews 4.16, therefore let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Hebrews 9, 22, and according to the law, one may almost say all things are cleansed with blood and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Hebrews 11, 1, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, 
the conviction of things not seen. Hebrews eleven six and without faith it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. Hebrews 12, 1, therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Hebrews 12, 2, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Hebrews 12, 6, for those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines, and he scourges every son whom he receives. Hebrews 12, 11, all discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. Yet to those who have been trained by it, afterwards it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. And finally, Hebrews 12, 14, pursue peace with all men and the sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. May God bless the reading of his word. So let's kind of start out with some basic information about Hebrews, okay? The book itself. Who wrote it? We don't really know. Um, The one who penned, there's no name given, probably on purpose. Um, But, you know, there's several things that theologians over the year have kind of conjectured about who potentially may have written this book. Uh, Priscilla, Clement, Apollos, Barnabas, and of course, Paul. Uh, Of course, if it had been written by Paul, the original was written in Hebrew and probably Luke probably translated it to Greek. Now, with that in mind, who were the readers? Who who was this letter originally penned for? And I would submit to you that it's the Jews who had become Christians, lived in Palestine, likely near Jerusalem, Um, baby Christians as we would call them today. Not real strong in their beliefs, um, in danger of going back to the old religion. You know, um, what we'll find is as we journey through this book, we're going to see that the writer of the Old Testament is continuing to make arguments from the Old Testament to keep them trusting in Jesus. It's like, we're going to keep going back. We're going to keep going back. I'm going to keep reminding you, and I'm going to show you how the Old Testament points to Jesus and why we need to hang on to that. Um, The book was likely written right before the destruction of the temple in 70 AD. And then the big question of why. You know, we know who it was written for. We know when. We don't know who wrote it. But really, at this point in time, the Christian Jew had to make a choice. Okay, they couldn't keep riding the fence, if you will. They couldn't keep going back and forth between Judaism and Christianity. You really needed to make a choice. You know, at this point in time, the devout Jews who were not Christians weren't real happy with the Christians. They were turned against them. They would not let them go into the temple. And and what we'll see as we kind of go through this book is that the writer is telling us that we need to follow Jesus. It's much better than what they had and obviously what Jesus replaced. So what makes this book unique? You know, it's, it's pretty interesting. It's a really, really interesting read. But I think it fills in a lot of gaps between the Old Testament and the New Testament. Um, what we might find without the book of Hebrews is that we would have some things that didn't, didn't really line up 
with the, the teachings of the Old Testament and the New Testament. So I think what the writer is not only doing as they're encouraging and they're writing to these, these uh, new Christians is they're attempting to answer some of the objections. You know, so often we get in a situation where we're not sure about our faith and we're not sure about what we believe or we're not sure about what we're reading. And sometimes we need to have someone help us see or to answer those objections. You know, anyone who is in sales for a living learns that. It's like, how do I overcome objections? Well, you know, what's your question? Well, let me explain this to you. And I think that's what the book, what the writer of Hebrews is doing for us here, is they're helping to explain. They're helping to answer those objections. And always with this, this bent of pointing them back to Jesus and why Jesus is a better option. Now, um, without chapter 13... I don't think we would ever really know that Hebrews was a letter. It, it reads a lot like a sermon or a lecture. But I think it's important to remember that as the writer brings this chapter, brings this book to a close, you can tell that it's, that it's written as a letter. It's written specifically for those new Jewish Christians. And I guess the big question is why? Why should we study this book? Well, I think as we consider what we're going to journey through over the next few weeks here, we need to remind ourselves that we have to make a choice as well. We have to remember, and sometimes we need to be reminded. You know, one of the things that the Old Testament did so often, if you kind of journey through the Old Testament, it seems like they're always repeating history. It's like we constantly need to be reminded about all the things that God has done for us. Because we are so guilty of falling away from that, of being so easily pulled away by the things of the world that we lose sight of what we have in God. And so for these Jewish Christians, they could go back to the world system, some other religion, whether it was Jewish or something other than Christianity, or we can remain Christians. And here's the thing. We know that we're living in some tough times right now. We're seeing it. All you got to do is turn on the news, which I don't like to do very often. But there is dark times right now. And the fact of the matter is, is that as time continues, it's going to get worse. I'd love to be able to tell you that it's all going to be sunshine and roses and we're all going to be wonderful and all going to say, well, yeah, that day is coming. But yet we have to be able to navigate day to day in our faith and trust God. You know, there's a saying that I heard a long, long time ago, and, and that is this. The closer you draw to God, the harder Satan tries to pull you away. Now, if you're not being persecuted in some form or fashion, it may be ridicule, it may be something worse. But if you're not being persecuted in some way, I would encourage you to look at how you're living your life. Because when you're not living God's path, Satan's like, cool, I got this one. Let me move on to somebody else. But when you are diligently walking the path that God has before you, Satan is gonna try everything. And if he can't get to you, He'll get to your kids, or he'll get to your grandkids, or he'll get to your friends. 
He's always going to be trying to pull you off track. We need to remember that, okay? And I think the most important thing that we need to remember about why we need to study this book is that the book of Hebrews builds a case that we can be confident in the faith that we put in Jesus. So let's kind of take a little bit of time and look at some things, I think, some recurring themes through the book of Hebrews that we'll continue to look at as we go, but I really kind of want to point out. And the first thing is the use of the word better. Better. In the book of Hebrews, the, the word better is used 12 times. It speaks of better things, uh, chapter 6, verse 9, a better hope, chapter 7, verse 19, a better covenant, uh, 7.22, better promises in chapter 8, verse 6, better sacrifices. Chapter 9, verse 23, better possessions, 10.34, better country, chapter 11, verse 16, and a better re resurrection in chapter 11, verse 35. See, the author is going to great lengths to show us that Jesus offers a better covenant you know, I have to chuckle sometimes when I walk into uh, my tire place where I get my tires done, and they have the, the you know, uh, good, better, best options. And of course, as you might expect, the, the good tires are not as expensive as the best tires. But when I think about the word better, I almost wish, and of course, the writer at this point is trying to show these Jewish Christians why Jesus is better. So I get that. But there's a part of me that almost wishes he would have said, best, right? The best covenant, the best thing, the best hope, the best promise, the ultimate sacrifice. See, to the Hebrew Christians who were waffling and thinking about going back, this letter says, keep your faith in Jesus. And I think that this use of the word better definitely points to excellence, talks about things that are better, if you will, than what we know and what they knew and what they had become accustomed to. So let's think about some things that are better about the Christian life, shall we? First and foremost, I think it's a better way of life. And why is that? Well, you think about what the Jewish Christians did and how they lived. They went to the temple to worship God. We have a better temple. God lives in our temple. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 19 says, or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? For you have been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. What are we doing with our bodies? How are we caring for our bodies? How are we respecting God with the temple that he's given us? As I mentioned earlier in the Old Testament, they had to go to a building. They physically had to go to a building, the tabernacle, the temple, and, and go there. You know, the, the different you know, parts of the tabernacle, if you will, and then that the ultimate presence of God lived and, and resided in the Holy of Holies. See, for us today, God's presence lives right here. He lives in our heart. The Spirit is with us all the time. 
See, Christianity is a way of life, okay? If you think about it from that perspective, you know, that's probably one of the reasons why these these Hebrews wanted to get back to Judaism because they knew, the, they knew the ceremonies, they knew the rituals. It's like, do this, do that, sacrifice this, give this away, you know, make an offering here, and I'm good to go, and I can get on with life. How many of us today are guilty of coming to this place and saying, I'm good, I came, I worshiped, I prayed, listen to a sermon, check. And then we walk out that door and we completely forget how it is that God wants us to live the other six days of our lives. Ouch. I'm stepping on my own toes sometimes there. There's room for improvement. I promise you there's room for improvement. You know, I believe that we really know, I think if we stop and think about this for a second, we really know what God wants from us, don't we? I think so. I think if we really give it some thought and we go, God, how is it that you want me to live my life? In Paul's letter to the Romans, 12th chapter, verses one and two says, therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And then he goes on to make such an important point and something that we all struggle with, I think. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, good, acceptable, and perfect. See, God doesn't want dead sacrifices anymore. You know, he's, they've even said in the Bible, it's like, it's not a pleasing aroma anymore. I don't want that stuff I want you, and I want a relationship with you, and I want you to to lead others to me, to lead others to the foot of the cross so they can have that relationship with Jesus. You know, in the Old Testament, they had all these things, all these traditions, all these rituals that they had to do. Um, It's a great reminder in Hebrews 8, 10, and 11. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws into their minds. I will write them on their heart. I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And they shall not teach everyone his fellow citizen and everyone his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all will know me, from the least to the greatest of them. Where do we find that? Where do we learn that? How do we grab onto that? The writer goes on in Hebrews 4, verse 12. It's this important reminder about what the word of God is. Living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. And piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow. And able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. See, the best way for us to live, friends, is to live for the Lord. When we live for our own earthly, fleshly desires, we never get filled up. There's nothing that can fill a God-sized hole in your heart. You know, here in a couple of weeks, we're going to celebrate the reason that we have the hope that we have, 
the true gospel. And I'm telling you, if the gospel and God are not true, then what's the point of life? It's meaningless. But we know that God and the gospel are true. Our life has meaning. And we're being challenged every day to live for God. You know, I've, I've often heard this and, and even have talked to a few people at different times sharing my faith and, and they're asking me, it's like, well, how do you know? How do you know? Well, you know what? What's the worst thing that can happen? If it all turns out to be incorrect, we got nothing to lose and everything to gain. But is it a risk you're willing to take? Is it a risk that you're willing to take to live for something other than God, to have a purpose in your life that is meaningless? I think the Christian life is better because it's a life of peace. It's a life of promises, and it's a life of power. I, for one, have no desire because I know that what's on the other side of living a life for God and not doing that, I know that disappointment. I know that hurt. And I would venture that the majority of the people in this room know that too. See, that's how God gets our attention sometimes. We think we're moving in the right direction and then it's like that little retractable leash, you know, that they have for dogs. It's like, burp, God hits the button and I'm like, oh man, I was so far off track. And it hurts. I don't want to do that. I don't want to live that way. You know, Jesus told the disciples in John, uh, John records it in four, chapter 14, verse 6. It's such an important reminder. Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. You know, there are some who would look at Christians and say, man, you guys are pretty exclusive. And I would argue that we are very inclusive because we know it's simple, right? It's simple. Believe in Jesus. Confess your need for a Savior. I think another one of the better references in Hebrews talks about a better quality of life. Um, three reasons kind of came to mind. And I think the first thing is that we have an eternal life. Okay? We just don't hope it. We know it. You know, the Old Testament really never gave a clear picture of the afterlife. And it was unclear on how to be saved. They figured, well, if I keep doing all these things, I keep having all these rituals, I keep making all these sacrifices, I keep doing all these things that I'm supposed to do, and, and I'll be good. But did they really know what came after? I don't think they did. But probably the most well-known verse in the Bible gives us a clear plan of salvation. John 3, 16, please say it with me. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. The greatest promise that we can grab onto you know, it was interesting that Jesus, when he said this, 
was talking to a Jewish rabbi, Nicodemus, who was asking him, what do I need to do? Does it get any more simple than that? See, Jesus isn't trying to make it difficult for us to understand what it means to be in relationship with him, what it means to acknowledge the cross and the sacrifice that was made and the bridge that we now have to the Father. He wasn't trying to make it difficult. And yet we still want to gum it up, don't we? We still want to look at this and go, there's got to be more. There's got to be more to this. I'm telling you, friends, there's not. It doesn't get any more simple than that. I think we also need to remember that we have an abundant life. Okay, John 10, verse 10 says, the thief comes to only steal and kill and destroy. Jesus said, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Some translations say, have it to the full. Hebrews 12, 1 says, therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance. Okay, the writer doesn't say, put put a few of these things aside, but you can still hang on to this. No, he's saying laying aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Friends, we're in a race. We're in a race not only for ourselves, but we're in a race for every person who does not know Jesus. You know, Matthew 28, the Great Commission, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. It doesn't say you pick and choose who we lead to the Lord. It says all nations. We are to bring the message of Jesus to anyone and everyone who does not know him. That's our responsibility. I don't want to get to the point where I'm at the end of my life and I have regrets because I failed to help point someone to a relationship with Jesus. I think the other thing is that we have a gratifying life, and I love this part of it. We have so many things to be grateful for. And it begins with Philippians 4.13. It says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. It doesn't say some. It doesn't say a few. It says all things. We gotta grab onto that. And remember, by ourselves, we're going to struggle. If you haven't figured that out by now, you will soon enough, okay? If you try and go this road alone, you're going to be frustrated. You're going to be frustrated. I don't want you to do that. So God wants to equip us. I kind of want to touch on just a couple of more betters here as we come to the uh, the close of this message, but I want us to remember that in Hebrews seven nineteen we have this better hope. Okay, in verse nineteen it says, uh, "For the law made nothing perfect, and on the other hand, there is a bringing in of a better hope through which we draw near to God." Okay, we near the end of our life, and we hope, we hope that all this is true. We have the word of God that tells us that it is and that it will be. And then that moment when we step from this life into the next, that we will be in the presence of the Lord with those who have gone before us. And we will all be worshiping at the foot of the master for all eternity. It's 
absolutely blows my mind to think about what that could potentially look like. You know, if we filled every seat in this auditorium and every single one of us was praising and worshiping Jesus at the top of our lungs, it's the tiniest little speck of what I think heaven is going to be like. But I want to be there, and I pray you do too. See, this better hope, if you will, anchors us, okay? It gives us something to hold on to. When we are navigating the storms of life and we're like, I don't know if I can do this. This is hard. How am I going to get through this? I heard a saying one time that I felt like really hits home with this, and that is, if God leads you to it, he will lead you through it. But you have to be willing to remember and hang on with both hands because God's going to get you through it. Hebrews 6 verse 19 says, This hope we have as an anchor of the soul, a hope both sure and steadfast, and one which enters within the veil. And then Hebrews 4.16, we talked about earlier, therefore let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. The help is there. The hope is ours to hang on to. Interesting story during the construction of the Golden Gate Bridge in San Francisco um, during the first half of the construction, 23 men fell to their deaths in the waters below. It was so dangerous that they stopped construction. And then somebody had the great idea, why don't we build a net? So they built a net, a cost of $100,000. So if anyone fell, they wouldn't, at least they wouldn't be hurt, they wouldn't be killed. Interesting thought, during the second half of the construction, only eight men fell and no one died. But here's the thing. Here's an interesting thing. Work proceeded at a 25% greater efficiency after the net. Now, I don't think having the net made them be more careless. I think what it did was it made them more confident and more efficient. See, for us as Christians to be efficient and effective... We must have the confidence in our salvation. We must be able to hold on to the hope that we have because of our relationship in Jesus. As the old hymn goes, be very sure, be very sure your anchor holds and grips the solid rock. You know, one of the other things that I think is, is pointed out in, in all these betters that are in Hebrews is about our choice of companions, our choice of friends, our choice of people that we hang around with. We gotta be careful. We gotta be careful about who we hang out with, who we choose to associate with. Now, yes, it's true that your witness can win someone to the Lord. There's no question in my mind about that, but you cannot allow that person who maybe doesn't have a relationship with Jesus to influence you to the point where it pulls you away from your relationship with Jesus. It should be the desire of every Christian to seek the company of those that have a fear or respect of the Lord. A great verse in Hebrews 10, verse 24, it says, let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together. Oops, let me step on some toes here. 
as is the habit of some, certainly not y'all because you're here this morning, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Be careful about who you choose to associate with. Let your light so shine before men that they see, they see Jesus. They look at you and they go, what's different about you? What is it that I see in you? Oh, I love it when that door opens. I'm like, I'm coming in. I'm gonna tell you why. Because of my love for the Lord. Um, some of you in this room, like myself, may be old enough to remember when Reggie Jackson played baseball. He referred to himself often as the straw that stirs the drink. He was pretty cocky, pretty outspoken, but he had a knack for keeping the adrenaline flowing among his teammates. I believe that Hebrews is telling each of us to be the straw that stirs the drink and fellowship together so we can stir people up for God. See, the church needs more stir-crazy people. We do. We need more stir-crazy people. And it reminds me, I love, for those of you that know me, I am a huge lover of music. Um, I think every button in my car radio is set to the message. So I'm always listening to Christian music. And some of you may have heard the new song by Casting Crowns called Crazy People. Anybody heard that yet? If you haven't, look it up. It's so cool because um, often before they play the song on the radio, they'll ask, um, they've got, they did an interview with Mark Hall, who's the lead singer for Casting Crowns, to explain why they wrote Crazy People. And he wrote it with Chris Tomlin and somebody else. I can't remember who the other writer was. But they, they were having this conversation about what would it look like if I drove up to my house and my next door neighbor was building this huge boat in West Texas. Would we think he was a little crazy? Probably. But you know what? You think about what some of the heroes of faith have done over the years, the history of the Bible. There's some crazy people out there. And so that's kind of where the song came from. And I put, I'm going to have them kind of flip through some slides here. But I love the words of the song. I think it's an important thing for us to remember. Um, the first verse goes, who builds a boat with no clouds in sight? Who walks up to a giant and picks a fight? Who turns a lion's den into a petting zoo? Who can have a church in the fiery furnace? I'll tell you, crazy people, trust in Jesus, following him wherever he leads us. Kingdom seekers, walk by faith believers. Here's the church, here's the steeple, here's all God's crazy people. The second verse goes on. Who brings a Bible into a public school? Who shares a gospel even when the world calls them a fool? Who's not afraid to go against the flow? Well, cancel me and call me one of those crazy people following him wherever he leads, kingdom seekers, walk by faith believers. Here's the church, here's the steeple. And then this uh, kind of the bridge is who sees the world as a mission field? Oh, that's pretty crazy. Who talks to Jesus like he's real? That's pretty crazy. Who believes the words in red? Who says he's coming back again? Crazy people. I'm one of those crazy people. Are you? Are you one of those crazy people? Let them call us crazy. Because we know who and whose we are. Think about that. Think about what you can do as a crazy stir, 
stir stick. I'm going to be a crazy stir stick because I want people to know Jesus. I want them to get excited about Jesus. And I want them to come to know that relationship that I have, that they can have, that you have, that we all need to have. We're about to enter into a time of invitation. I told you the, the R in here is for respond. So I want you to give some thought this morning as you're thinking about what your life look like, looks like and what we've already discussed in this first message about Hebrews and why Jesus is better. And what does your life look like today? I guess first and foremost, do you know him? If you're here today and you don't know Jesus, please do not walk out that door without exploring what it means to surrender to the one who gave all, all of it, so that we could have a promise, the promise of eternity. If you're here today and you're struggling, if that's you, and you need prayer, and you want to pray with someone, you don't necessarily even have to get up and come see me or anybody that's around. You can do it right there. Now, maybe you're sitting next to someone that you know is struggling right now. This is an opportunity to get on your knees because we're about to partake of the Lord's Supper. And I know Big Al's going to come and talk about that here in just a minute, but the Bible says that we are to get right before we approach the table. Do you know that if you pray and you ask God for forgiveness, whatever it is that you're struggling with now, that he will forgive you? You know, none of us are worthy, but grace is a free gift. So if you need prayer, you need to just pray right where you're at, please, please do that. You know, if you have been visiting for a while and you're questioning whether or not now is the time to, to align yourself with South Point and the amazing things that God is doing here. Maybe today's the day. I promise you, we welcome you with open arms. We want you to be a part of what's happening here because we believe that God is doing an amazing things. My wife often says if God is doing one thing, he's doing a million things. And I'm telling you here at South Point, God is doing a million things. Okay, and they're all good. So if this is the time for you, then I invite you, come, come and say, hey, I want to be a part of what's happening here because I know God's doing great things. So whatever that need is, I want you to think about that as I pray and then as we enter into our time of invitation. Pray with me, please. Father God, we are humbled. We are truly humbled, God. We know that we are so often off track. We are so in need of that reminder, that little click of the leash, Lord, to pull us back in and to get us back on track again. And I know so often, Lord, we are guilty of being pulled away by the things of the world, those shiny things that just draw us away from you, the idols that we have placed in front of us, thinking, if I can just have a little more, if I can just accomplish this, if I can just accomplish that. 
And Lord, when you really, what you really want us to say is, God, take me, use me, fill me, and help me be a light to the world with the outpouring of what you have for me. God, I believe that there are lives to be touched in this room today. And I pray, God, during this time of invitation that you would open hearts and minds, that your spirit would just flow freely in this room. We want to be stir sticks for you, Jesus. We want to be known as the crazy people who love Jesus and love telling other people about you. And so in the moments that follow, God, I pray that your spirit would just move freely in this room. Whatever decisions need to be made as we prepare to come before your table, Lord, let your will be done. In Jesus' name, amen.